Bible, um, Colossians chapter 3 is where we're going to be at this morning. Um, I've got a lot of notes because this is like one of those passages that um, it's not that it's difficult, but it's just really, really deep. And there's a couple profound realities that if, if you don't get, then the rest of this chapter is not going to make any sense. Uh, again, welcome. Uh, to church this morning. I kind of timed this oddly. I should have had Keith preach today, uh, but then I won't have a voice the rest of the day, but I'm guessing my wife probably won't mind that at all. Um, as I sip on my coffee. Ezra, Ezra is loud enough. He clouds out everyone. Colossians chapter 3, we're going to pick it up in verse 12. Again, I uh, do hope you guys are well and uh, staying safe. Uh, how's your mom and them? Hope they're well too. All right. And uh, so let's go. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, and then watch what you're putting on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, Nothing really has changed. Forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It's the reading of God's word. Would you pray with me this morning? Dear Lord, I thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth how it sets us free, free into this new way of life, free from the old way, free into the new way. I pray, God, that, uh, that you have just spoken your authoritative word, and so may it uh, sharpen us, cut us deep in our hearts, and may it sanctify us in your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. What Paul is doing here is that he is moving us uh, from a lot of theological pro profound realities of who Jesus is, and now here is the result of that. It is what happens as an overflow of what Jesus has done inside of you. So Jesus redeems, Jesus chooses you, Jesus saves you from yourself and from the earthly ways of this world, and now what's going to happen and what Paul is about to show them is that this is what happens when Christ does all of the deconstruction work inside of you and tears everything down. And now what he does is he rebuilds you and out of that rebuilding internally, there will be an outwardly expression of that. This is what we call an overflow. Like, you know what an overflow is? Like if we were filled to capacity in this room, we would have to set up an overflow because it couldn't handle what was inside of the main room. So, in other words, when Christ 
dwells inside of you, and when Christ redeems you and saves you from your past, what happens if you've truly been redeemed is an overflow of that so that what was inside you cannot contain all that Christ is doing inside of you, and now you begin to overflow it out of your life. And this is what Paul is giving us a picture of. This is what it looks like. So Christ redeems you. Christ saves you. And now what's happening inside is going to be made visible outwardly. And then he gives us this picture of like what all of that looks like. So if you remember last week when Keith was preaching, he talked about that we were hidden in Christ. And I just thought that that was just a, a, a beautiful picture for all of us to, to get that we'd never need to uh, forget because it, it is the gospel. It is a picture of the gospel that if you are hidden in Christ, and then Paul tells us where Christ is, is seated, where is Christ seated? Anybody remember? Right hand of the Father. Somebody was listening last week. And, then, and so what does that mean for you? The problem is, is that we just don't see it that way. And, and, as, and as Keith kind of expounded on, that's the reason why a lot of us keep sinning. That's the reason why a lot of us keep living the life that we live is because we really don't see uh, how Christ sees us. And really, this is an identity crisis in the church of America. We just don't see rightly. We don't see how Christ views us. And so Paul is going to yet again sound like a broken record and yet again remind you of who you belong to, of who you are. And, and that's how, how I grew up, is, is uh, who you is, all right? And he's going to just subtly throw this in here, and look what he says in verse 12. You, you have been chosen, and look what he calls you. You are holy, and you are the beloved. And, and I think I can argue this, um, and I won't argue it, but because I know I'm right, and I've got the Bible to, to back me, but, but hear this real quickly. God chose you. You didn't choose. Like, like here's what I hate around this time, every four-year cycle. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to elect Jesus as my president. No, you're not. You don't elect Jesus. He's not a president. That doesn't really fit his construct of kingdom principles. He's not elected as a president of your life. In fact, rather, what the Bible would say in Ephesians, he elected you. He chose you before the foundations of the world. So, so you got to get this. So, so now that Jesus, and if that's confusing for some of you, it's okay. Just breathe. All right? We're not going into some weird theology that may confuse some of you. I've got the Bible that backs me. That's all I'm going to say on that. I'm moving on. So Jesus then, he picks you up because dead people can't raise themselves to life. So Jesus does that by calling you, raises you from your dead self, and makes you alive in him. And now look how the Father sees you oh, then this is good so make a charismatic person want to run around the room he sees you as holy this is this is amazing that god would see me in my filth in my disgusting ways because of the cross of christ and what he did for me now he views me as righteous he views you as holy, and this is the one thing that he views us as, that we got to get our mind around, and if we don't, none of this other stuff will make sense. The beloved. Amen. All right, here's one of the most hardest theologies to wrap your mind around. You ready for it? 
Christ loves you. He chose you. He called you out of darkness. Ephesians, despite you being in your sin, he loves you. Like, it's not this 50-year-old version. I don't know. I may need to go a little older for myself. It's not like a 90-year-old. I'll probably be disgruntled by then. It's not the older, more mature version of Matthew that he's adoring. You, you get that? Like, he loves me now. Like some of us, we just cannot wrap our minds around the way an eternal, righteous, holy, and just God would call us out of darkness and then out of that calling says, I love you. It's, again, I, I want to just be on repeat from what Keith said. It's, it's a lot of the reason why we keep living in a state of sin because we just don't have a clear identity we don't see ourselves the way the Father sees us, that he sees us as his beloved and that he loves you. This is just something we don't hear a lot about, that Christ loves you. Like his pursuit of the cross was to gather up a people and to call them and now to say, I love them. Amen. Listen, and, and I, I need to correct something else too while I'm correcting he doesn't love your darkest parts of yourself. Like, that's just one thing. Like, I try not to call people out on Facebook. I'm not, but inside I'm calling them out. You ever seen that? Like, sometimes, like, oh, and Jesus loves even the darkest parts of me. No, he loves you despite the darkest parts of you, despite your sinful nature, despite how wicked and vile and disgusting and alienated you once were. He loves you. And that's a profound truth that if we just don't get the rest of this just will not make any sense because now as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven now as holy now as the beloved here's the overflow so look what look what he says so now he's going to give us this now we're called into okay and this is what the overflow of Christ within us is going to look like put on right he says put on then you who are holy beloved this is what you're putting on compassionate hearts kindness meekness and patience bearing with one another and if one has a complaint against another forgiving each other as the lord has forgiven you so also must forgive and above all these put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony so Here's, here's the reality of this, and this is what Paul's going to get into a lot, is that you can't do that by yourself. Amen. You cannot be a compassionate person by yourself. Good. If you can, we need to talk because I'm missing it. <laughs> you can't be a kind person by yourself. And so here's this reality that God has called you into, that not only are you hidden in Christ, you are not the only one who's hidden in Christ. There's some other people that are hidden in there that you kind of need which is what call, Christ has called you into it's called the church you cannot which seems like an overbearing weight for you to try to achieve this don't worry you can't do it by yourself that's why God has given us the other folks who are also hidden within Christ known as the church so Paul 
He's listing these virtues, and it sounds similar to uh, the fruit of the Spirit found in Galatians. And, and since it's these, these, the, the, this list of graces, I guess we could call it, it's, it seems like this fruit of the Spirit. I, I want to just kind of go through all of these real quickly, if I can, and just kind of talk about it a little bit and really how it applies so much to us as much as it did 2,000 years ago. Compassion, all right? Let's look at this word. So your compassionate in heart is all more crucial when societies become in this race to achieve. We lose compassion. We're always wanting, we, we lose the idea here of this biblical compassion because it seems like in our culture, there's this race to try to achieve and to do more in life. And you lose this compassion. In other words, what happens in your pursuit in life, whatever that is, you become more about yourself and less about other people. If I were to summarize, be compassionate hearted, I just say it like this. Stop hating. We just got so many people, Christian people, who are just so filled with hate towards so many people and so many things. Can we stop being so hateful? Be compassionate in heart. Humility. Now, this is strange because in the ancient world, honor is what they would equate today with prestige and, and dignity. And honor would be this opposite effect of humility. Honor also, it, what they would do is they would um, face paint honor with, with egotism by saying, look how incredible um, my house on the Mediterranean is. And you live in a little hut? Oh, pitiful you. And so in, the, in, that, in that boasting, in that, and this is what they did in, in this culture, in that boasting, in that arrogance, in that egotism, like that's how they gained more honor, which is so strange. You gain more honor by being a turd. And so this is the counter that Paul is saying. Paul is saying, look at the culture. Look at those who are boasting about how good they've got it. This isn't what we do. We're going to be humble. We're not going to boast about this extravagant lifestyle that we have. If Paul were talking to us today, he'd probably say, some of you need to shut down your social media. Some of y'all watching online, don't do that right now because you're watching online, right? Hold off on that. Maybe just block everything out and then just stay laced in the refuge. Humility. It's, it's, and then look what he says, he's gentleness. In this context, what gentleness means is that it signifies the willingness to make allowances for others. Patience. God help me today. Parents, I should have had an amen right there. But y'all are quiet. And so watch what these virtues, they lead to. You see this? These virtues, they lead into an action of forbearing and, and what else? And forgiving. Which says a couple things about the church in, in Colossae that there were going to be a lot of mistakes to be made 
there are going to be people that are just those people that you're just like, I don't want to talk to this person. So it, it gives us this pretty incredible reality of what the church looked like in Colossae. And let's be honest, 2,000 years later, things really hadn't changed. There's some people that you know that you're going to have difficulty dealing with in church. And if you haven't met that person, hang out with me. As Ben reminded me this week. Right? Hang out with me. I'm, I'll let you down. And you'll have to forgive me. I'll be that guy that can be a turd sometimes. All right? I'll be that guy that disappoints you. I'm human. Hello. And so now, look what... So, so Paul's like, listen, he's not painting this utopian perfect world of the church he's like listen some of y'all are going to make mistakes some of y'all are going to be a messed up joker and you're going to need to learn how to forgive Amen. Amen. now all of this is tied and in, in, in bound into one virtue that kind of holds it all together if you see this and if you saw this lastly he says and love so love then is presented as the bond that's going to keep all of this together. Love is what's going to help us uh, stay compassionate. Love is going to help us be kind to somebody. Love is going to help us in our humility. Love is going to help us in, in all of these virtues. This is what we get that holds it all together. It, it is it's love. But Paul's biggest concern, because I, I don't want to overstate this in other sermons, but I'm going to mention this. Um, his biggest concern is these virtues, they're not just joined in like some utopian perfect union, right? This is, instead he's concerned about the diversity of individuals that made up of the church of Colossae. All right, so, so let me paint this picture for you. The Greek, the Jew... The barbarian, some of you are like, wait, I'm sitting by barbarian. Uh, the Greek, the Jew, that joke worked out a lot better in my head. Uh, this, listen, and the slave and the free. And, and, and all of these, all of these different races, we're making up this beautiful image and this picture of, uh, of the early church. And so now you kind of get an idea why Paul is saying all of this. Because you're going to have so many cultural differences you have so many people who have, who have just off the chart different backgrounds than you were raised up in. And they're going to come together and they're going to give you a beautiful picture of what the gospel can do despite those diversities. Amen. And within all of those diversities, the Greek, the Jew, the barbarian, the, the whomever you want to throw in this category, the thing that's going to hold them together is not a legislative list of rules and laws it's love it's knowing that the person you're sitting beside right now may not come from the same background that you did and you're going to love them and you're going to be kind to them and you're going to be patient with them and, and, and you're going to be compassionate to them it, it is a beautiful picture of what the church looks like in its infancy in what the church looks like today. In this passage, there are several commands 
and, and by the way, I, I want to say this again, it, it only happens when you're in community with each other. In this passage, there are several commands. Let's pick it up in verse 15. Cold coffee. Disgusting. <laughs> and let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. It wasn't a suggestion that Paul's giving. It's a command. To which indeed you were called in, here it is, in one body. And be thankful and let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts and let the word dwell. This word uh, dwell comes from the Greek word oikos, which gives the idea that like, it's like your best bud coming over and never leaving. All right, some of you, you think that's a nightmare. Some of you are like, oh, okay, I'm good with that. All right? It's like your in-law. Uh, that's not a good idea. Um, we won't go there. Uh, it's, it's just like, like this guy at your house that you love, and he's there, and he's in your refrigerator every time you, you see him. Kind of questioning that, and he's there. Everywhere you turn, he's there. That's what dwell is. Let it, let it be there on your couch in your heart. And, and you'll never have that peace that dwells if the word isn't dwelling in your heart. Some of us, we get this idea that Jesus is going to bring me this peace. And it's just going to be so amazing. I don't know if you could expect that amazing, wonderful, incomprehensible peace of Jesus if you're not in the word. And if the word is not dwelling inside of you, how could you expect there to be peace? Because what you're doing is that you're, you're, you're substituting the word of God with some crazy garbage on the media. And you expect to, to get peace by watching all of the insane things that are happening in our world today. You want peace? Turn off the news. You want peace? Get into the word of God. Let it dwell in your heart. Let it rest and just soak in it. There you'll find peace. You're not going to find peace in some relationship and some, some extravagant toy that you think you're going to need, that you're going to save up all of your money just to find out it's going to break down on you in just two years. <laughs> or this new shirt that you'll stain. I don't know why I pointed at my son. Or, or, or whatever. You're not going to find peace in any of these worldly things. You find it by just soaking and letting the word of God dwell in you richly Amen. and now look how he moves here because he's going to continue on with his commands and really this is going to be about how do you do this you do this in community you do this with the local church he says this it says now teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom he doesn't say teaching and admonish yourself how are you going to how are you going to measure up to like all this these these virtues if you're the guy doing the measuring up it's just not going to happen you're going to look silly in the end teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is another command that he gives, and it is the act of worship. Teaching and admonishing 
and singing, they all go hand in hand. It's an act of worship. What we do here on Sunday should not be the only act of worship that you get. That this should not be it for you. This should be like the intro for your week, f- for the rest of your week, to continue in the teaching and the admonishing and the singing of hymns and the singing of psalms and the singing of, uh, in our day and time, the praise music. It should continue. It should be a continued overflow of what happens internally. Here are a couple questions that I want to ask and just kind of all of that was my introduction. This is the last part of my sermon here. I would ask the keyboard player to come up, but I am him. <laughs> but I don't think I'm ready for that yet. All right. Hang tight, Quinn Quinn. All right. It, there's a couple questions that I think I want us to wrestle with. And I think the question is, is a question of identity. If you're a believer, if God has chosen you, do, do you see yourself as God's beloved? That's a question that we have to wrestle with because here's, here's the reality. Some of us, I can't remember what preacher, I, I heard a preacher say this a long time ago, like, like some of us just navel gaze. You know what that means? You just stare at your belly button. You know, like kind of Eeyore. <laughs> Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. I guess I'll go eat words. I mean, you just act like depression, like, and, and, and I'm not like hating on people who suffer with depression. It's a real thing. I'm just saying like some of you just don't get the reality that Christ would love you enough to die for you. Amen. Like this isn't a call to be arrogant, all right? Because we see what happens to those who are arrogant and haughty in the scripture. God knows them from afar and he'll tear them down. This is just a simple call for you to see how Christ sees you. Do you see how Christ sees you, that you are his beloved? Yeah. And some of us, we just can't get that because, again, we do this navel-gazing thing. We're like, well, you don't know my past, whatever happened to me in the past. You don't know. Some of us are, are maybe you're in this category right now. We're like, like, you don't even know. Like, how can he love me because of the things I'm doing right now? How can God love me even though, like, I'm, I keep screwing up, I, I keep finding myself in these patterns of sin, and I, and I just can't find my way out, like, how can he love me now? And the simple answer is that he just does. He called you, and he chose you, and he loves you. And if you could get that, then all of a sudden, remember what he said earlier in this passage? Like, Okay, so Christ loves you, Christ calls you, Christ chose you. Now, now take off the sinful patterns of this world. And he gives us this exhaustive list of sinful patterns. And it seems like, how am I ever going to do this? Well, you do it <laughs> by being holy. It's called sanctification. You do it by staying in community. You do it by what? What's the contrast of taking off something? Putting on. So, so you lay down the sinful earthly patterns by doing what? By putting on then the things of Christ. 
And some of us just can't get out of that rut. God loves you. Despite what you may be doing right now. Like he loves you. Despite. Maybe even despite some mess you're going to find yourself up in in a week or so from now. He loves you. I can't remember which theologian said it, but he, he said that this one guy who wrote all these commentaries and all these various different things, and someone asked him, he was like, what's the greatest theological truth that you, you just kind of wrestled with? And he said, it's just the simple one, that Jesus loves me. And he does. Here's, here's another question that, that I want you to see, because you're hidden in Christ, that your Christian life isn't your own. Amen. And that, that means that, you know that means that your, um, your Christian life isn't private. It's personal, not private. You don't get to go hide out in a closet and wait for some false Armageddon takeover <laughs> and whatever. So, so my question is, is this, if that's true, if Christ loves you, if you have been hidden in him and also others hidden in Christ uh, with you also, like, are you connected to the local church? And I, I wrestled with this idea because I know how difficult, like, some people can view this as, is like me maybe hating on people who aren't in church right now, and that's not my heart at all. Because I understand the reality that some people just probably need to stay home. That's cool. I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying, no, I'm not telling you to stay home, Willie. Uh, I'm just saying, like, are you couldn't even there are ways even when you staying at home, you can still stay connected to the body of Christ. Amen. Are you connected to Christ's church, to the local church? It's his design. Right? He didn't design you to be Tom Hanks in Castaway. Amen. All right, if that's you on the island, guess what? I'm here to break it for you. You die. Unless you're Chris. He could probably make a way out. But the rest of us, we're gone. Right? Son's going to bake us, and we're dead. So why, for the life of us, do we think that God has called us to live life in this individualistic world where it's just me and myself, and I'm just going to stay in my closet? Um, which I don't know why that's a phrase, because that's weird. I don't know why you'd stay in a closet anyway, uh, because I have small closets. But why would you want to stay, like, hidden and far away from people because that's not God's intention for you. He called you. He chose you. He's hiding you now in Jesus Christ. But you're not by yourself. He's hiding you with the church. And are you connected with the church? That's the question. Because I think these two things are so important. If you could see yourself as God's beloved... If you can find that growth, find that, or, or find that connection with the local church, then what you are going to do, all right, this is the good news, is that you're going to set yourself up under a waterfall of growth and what we call sanctification, to where suddenly all of those things that you're, that you're hesitating or that, that you're struggling with 
will, will in just weeks and months and years just seem like a distant memory because now you've been more conformed into the image of God because you have been called because now you are a part of the local church. Now you are in this fast lane of growing more into his grace and his mercy. Those sins that which you kept struggling with will just seem like a distant memory. Take off the things of this earth. Put on Christ. Put on compassion. Put on this new way. Let that new way seep into your hearts and let it overflow to the world around you. Let's pray. Father.